Hello and welcome to episode 276 of the Rand Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I am Kevin. And we've got a uh, grab bag of a show for you on this fine March weekend. Uh, we're calling it Show Us Your Moves after one Captain Falcon who uh, just resurfaced on Switch Online this past week with F-Zero X joining the expansion pack. And I have some thoughts on that experience as someone who's never actually played that version of F-Zero before. But not to be outdone, each of you also have an older release you've got impressions of. Uh, usually I just round them off, but would you like to say what you're going to be talking about for once? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's keep tradition going. <laughs> okay, fine. Angel, you'll be discussing... I feel like I'm giving assignments. A- I guess like I am. Angel, you'll be discussing Rhythm Heaven, but specifically, if I'm not mistaken, the Japanese Game Boy Advance original, right? Yes. Ah, okay. And Kevin, I do believe you have Tetris Effect, which I know is a game you've been kind of on, on the verge of talking about like three episodes in a row, but we finally have time. Yes. Is that also correct? Yes. And is this Tetris Effect or is this specifically Tetris Effect Connected? This is Tetris Effect. Gotcha. So for those with Switches, it is the base of the Switch version that is Tetris Effect Connected. Um, and if I wanted to force... And I do. If I really wanted to force our episode title to work with all this hodgepodge, uh, I think I could. Like we said, show us your moves. The moves being shown could be dance moves and rhythm heaven. They could be skills in a Tetris match. Like it does work. It even works with our episode title. I mean, not our episode title. It is our episode title. It even works with our news to some degree. Uh, because like a through line of what we're going to be discussing today is, you know, there's a lot a big announcements of new games and Nintendo Directs and Pokemon Presents in February, and now we're seeing Nintendo make a lot. They're showing us a lot of smaller, more subtle moves that are showing us how they can uh, kind of keep making money even after we buy all those big games, and it's all in accounts and services. So we'll be touching on that a little later, uh, and the nips, tucks, and enhancements that have popped up the past few weeks that I'll point to that. And timestamps for everything's on Ramtown.com's blog post, including other stories like, you know, Advance Wars, uh, Gang Delayed. Uh, so we'll get to all that. Yep. But without any further ado, let's let's go a little retro with what we're playing. Who would like to go first? Oh, I'll go second. Okay, Kevin, you're first. <laughs> wasn't expecting that one. Yeah, that but, uh, and not only wasn't expecting it, the enthusiasm to be second. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I've been playing or replaying a lot of Tetris Effect recently. Uh, that one got released on Switch a few months ago. Hey, Jason, did you ever pick it up? I did, yeah. I, I played it. It didn't click with me quite the same way as uh, Tetris 99. I don't know why, but I did pick it up when I got the Switch OLED, that's, and it looks gorgeous. That's insane. <laughs> because That didn't click with me? Yeah, because I think... I'd say it's probably one of the best games of all time, because in my mind, Tetris, and, and like Sander Tetris, is one of the best games of all time, and I believe full force that this is the best uh, variant of Tetris that we've ever gotten. Um, I think what makes this game so special is the fact that it turns the game of Tetris into an entire experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just the gameplay. It's the audio. It's the video. Um and like the way that it does that is that it gives you 27 stages uh, to play on that evolve over time as your score gets higher. So I know we talk a lot about, obviously this being a Nintendo podcast, we talk a lot about how fun um, 
Tetris DS was because as you're playing a stage, you know, you've got the music from Super Mario Brothers or Legend of Zelda while, you know, a game of it, like, auto plays. I don't know what you would call it, like, on the side. Oh, yeah. It's like cinematics almost as you're playing. Like, there's these little, like, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so that made that that game very fun to play, right? Even though at the end of the day, you're just literally just dropping blocks, right? For like a standard, mm-hmm. a standard marathon game. Um, so I'll give you a, a, an example. The first stage in this map is called the deep. Um, and when you start that stage, the screen is pretty much entirely black with the exception of like the, uh, I always mess saying this word up. Tetraminos? Tetraminos, right? I think it, it's either, I always say tetraminos, but I might be like, rolling it a little like rolling it into a fake world yeah, well, we much, we all know? know the tetris pieces if i ever say yeah. peace or tetraminos you, you guys know what i'm talking about but but like as as i said the board will be or the screen will be entirely black you have your tetraminos that are this bright neon blue and then you have the outer edge of the playing board obviously and then you know you have your your time your score your all that all that little menu stuff on the side but the entire screen is black. And then, as you're dropping your pieces, little particle effects will start, like, exploding in the background like fireworks. Just these small little boom, 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 boom. But then, the longer you play, you'll start seeing little fish composed of these blue particles swimming around this black void. And then, when you keep, or when you clear, like, lines or clear Tetris... The lines just don't disappear. They will burst into even more particles. At the same time, as you're moving these pieces and rotating them and dropping them, the game will insert a sound effect or like a little sound cue that sounds like a woman scatting, like the the scatting from like New Super Mario Brothers, the ba 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 that kind of stuff. The the Goomba and Koopa's favorite sound effect because they'll pause and dance when they hear it. Yeah, yeah. and so. The thing about those audio cues is that it feels and sounds incredibly dynamic to the point where it just sounds like it's part of the music track that's playing in the background. It's, it's, uh, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. And I should clarify when I said I didn't click with me at Touch 99, I, it doesn't mean I didn't like it. It's just Touch 99 is such a high, as anyone who has heard me gush about over the years, it's such a high bar for me. This just didn't hit it specifically, but. Yes, as an audiovisual experience and like this kind of like immersive thing, it is that's actually a great analogy. That's basically Tetris DS two in terms of how it marries the puzzles with like just the experience around it and takes it much further. Yeah, exactly. And like with the deep, as as you keep playing and then you hit a certain threshold, the stage will evolve in mm-hmm. in a sense. So I believe it's actually at a standard marathon game is hundred and fifty lines, so I'm pretty sure each map or each stage has has uh, three versions of itself and that shift when you hit 50 lines and 100 lines so once like you've cleared 50 lines the the music will get they'll introduce more instruments into the track as well as like for this first uh stage the deep there will be a woman singing with actual lyrics and then instead of little fish composed of particles now there are manta rays that are swimming around. Clear another 50, and now in the background you've got an entire school of fish and a huge whale that will bounce around whenever you clear a line or a Tetris. The song has added even more instruments and 
another set of lyrics and vocals. The woman scatting when like you move or spin or drop your pieces has now turned into like somebody hitting a piano. It's all so incredibly dynamic and so in tune. Like every aspect of this game is in tune with its with with the other aspects, be it the visuals, the audio, the gameplay. Uh how far did you get into the game, Jason? Did you uh, of the, the journey 20, mode? of the 27 like different board. It, journey mode does one for each board, right? If I remember correctly. So so journey um, mode, well Well, how far did you get? You don't remember? I think I did the equivalent of 10 to 12 different bits. I don't know okay. if they're separate. I don't know what to call them, like stages, I guess you could okay, say. Okay, yeah. And I, I do want to really quick mention, you said, you know, the stages evolve. That kind of undersells it, I feel like. Like, it doesn't, like, it's like it literally comes, I mean, the way you're describing how the, like, creatures literally get more immersive, more elaborate. The stage comes to life. Like, when you start getting into, like, combos and start clearing with some rhythm to it and really, you know, are at those thresholds, it really, like, bursts into, like, this whole thing. It's like, it Evolve almost sounds too tame for the extent it goes into. Like, it's it's really visually, especially on, like, again, like an OLED Switch or if you have a, a nice OLED TV or something, it really pops. It looks really good. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's... And it's not just... And, and there's different versions of this where I, I said the word particles a lot in that first stage. They're not necessarily always going to be a lot of particles being thrown at thrown at you. So, like, there's a stage called Downtown Jazz where... In the background, you'll have like the skyline of what I'm pretty sure is supposed to be New York City. And the tetra, uh, tetraminos are orange this time. And the sound effects whenever like you, you move a piece, uh, will sound like a lounge piano key getting hit. And then when you clear lines instead of particles there, it'll be like streaks of light that are supposed to represent cars, like headlights and rear lights crossing an intersection. You know, if you ever see a movie and they, they do like that. That like uh, super speed up of an intersection, you get like the rays of light, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or like those and, long exposure photos where it's just streaks of light down a highway. Of yes, LA or exactly. Something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so by the time that you're done with that stage, the city skyline lights are a different color, and now the board is traveling down like a New York City street with brick buildings uh, passing the left and the right side of the screen, and then you also have like translucent maps. And words like one way or avenue filling the screen. There's a map that starts at the sunrise, at sunrise at like a canyon. And by the time you're done with that board, hot air balloons will have passed and already gone down. It's like an entire, it's almost like an entire day cycle. Um, and then by the end, you know, it's already sunset. Um, the journey mode that, that I was alluding to earlier. Mm-hmm. will essentially take you across these 27 stages. Um, but they're almost like sets of stages. So you'll have like the deep. And then once you hit a threshold there, the stage completely will transition from one stage to another stage. Um, and so like the first, we'll say World 1-1 would consist of like four stages. World 1-2 may consist of just like two or three um, it's super, super pleasing to hit that threshold and then just the music will slow down, the entire visual will slow down, and then the board will just transition, or the stage will transition from one to the next. It's I actually kind of forgot so, about so that, good. that it does it in pair, in sets. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's just the journey mode. You can play these stages, or yeah, these stages just by themselves. This game has so many, so many modes. Um, you have your your like classic modes: marathon, sprints, your three minute score attacks. Then there are like these relaxed modes, which essentially mean that there's no game over when the board gets filled. Then there's like modes where there's a mode called C, where you just get like ocean and water themed uh, boards as you play. It's, I think I'm I'm very much underselling this game, uh, in terms of the experience the, aspect. The, it the has to be video. seen. It has to be seen and played so that you understand truly how amazing the experience of this game is. And to me, it's more about just those maps more than it is our stages more than it is the um the like modes because <laughs> the modes don't mean crap if it weren't for the experience honestly it'd just be another tetris game to me um and i think yeah, that I, might be ahead. why it didn't hit as hard for me right away is because i first tried tetris effect at e3 in vr playstation vr so when i got the oled switch and played it on there it was already a little less of that experience, and I had like other stuff at the same time that just came out, so I kind of like pushed it to the side. But you describing because you didn't play in VR, right? Um, no, I pl- I played it in VR. Uh, oh, you did. I, okay. I, I, when yeah, when I had my PS4, I played it back in VR. Okay, then yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, because in VR, and it's funny that we're like, yeah, it's on Switch, yeah, it looks great on Switch, but in VR, it wraps around you the, when the particle effects happen, when the, the streaks of light happen, all that, it comes at you, it surrounds you, it does feel very immersive. That doesn't mean the Switch version can't, but I do think it's, you know, it is a secondary implementation of it from their original vision. Um, and that might partly, that and for me at least, I'm not great at Tetris, like I love Tetris and I love Tetris 99, but part of the reason I love Tetris 99 is like other factors can help me. You know, I can like knock people out, I can do things that aren't just big combos um so that helps me get further but with tetris effect it is based on you know traditional tetris so you just need to be really good at combos and stuff so i don't always reach the like zenith of the experience the best visuals i'm like somewhere in the middle usually and i think that also is probably why i lean more towards 99 but yeah it is well that's why you have the relax experience that's originally i was gonna make a crack at like oh this is the perfect mode for jason but I mean, I, I heat it up are, for you. <laughs> yeah, but those relax modes are are, you know that that's what they're there for, so that you could still enjoy the experience, this these audio and visual experiences, uh, without having to uh, get a game over. And I believe there's also like a theater mode that that will uh, the board and the uh, and the information on the sides of the screens are gone, and the game will like. Not necessarily play itself, but you'll see the uh, the multiple versions or the stages, the the evolutions of each stage. The like three, the three parts of it. You know, I may actually give it another go. I may circle back and try relax mode because I did not try relax mode. I mostly was doing journey, and then I was sort of dabbling in the connected feature, which is in the Switch version. Which is an interesting idea where it's like you more, you basically merge the boards with other players, and you have this really like oblong like rectangle horizontally shaped board then you're all kind of working together to do combos but um yeah maybe i'll try relax mode because the thing about what i noticed with effect and i I don't know how you felt kevin i'd be curious um is it's kind of like you you do zen out a little when you play it or you can very easily zen out and i imagine like relax mode is that to uh, extreme you need to relax more than anybody 
Oh, do I? <laughs> There's also something something that I, that I didn't uh, mention. There is a uh, in the journey mode, and this is journey mode specific, and it's kind of a kind of disappointing that it's journey mode specific. But uh, there's this mechanic called zone, where essentially it is there for you to um, get even something better than the Tetris where the board will stop or yeah, the, the board will essentially go. What's the word that negative, I guess like, where is, is it negative? You, you know what I'm talking about, right? I think so. It like you press a button in, inverses and then, the colors, right? Yeah, like exactly. The board, the, yeah. Yeah. And so in that mode, you essentially, you can, uh, let's say you've got about 80% of the board cleared or not. You have 87 of the board filled like perfect, right? You're just waiting for those line pieces to drop. What will happen is you drop in zone mode. You drop your line piece. And instead of those four lines getting cleared, you can still, uh, keep going. So like the perfect time to do it is when you, when you're holding onto a line piece and then you have another line piece coming up. That way, you're going to be clearing eight lines in one fell right. swoop instead of just the, the four. And I believe you can try to do up to uh, 16 lines. And that's really cool, especially because, like, I, like Jason said, this is a very uh, zen game. And that zone mechanic is even more zen than what is already this game yeah yes. like it, it like does like a almost like tetris bullet time in terms of like the effect yeah yeah it's, it's super really cool, like yeah. yeah it's like a serene second for you to like do your advanced combo which is another thing again because i'm not good with the combos that like i need to leverage and learn that zone system better because that was something i was kind of not struggling with but when i was playing it, i was like oh this is interesting but i didn't really like dive into it and figure out how it works for my lack of strategy with tetris so something i definitely revisit yeah but yeah tetris effect it's uh one of my favorite games of all time, and like I said, I, I believe it's also one of the best games of all time. And to reiterate, for those who have a Switch OLED, it's a probably looks amazing for that screen. Yeah, it is a hundred percent one of the. It was, I initially downloaded it the day I got the OLED specifically because I knew it would look really good, and I'm very happy to report it looks. Yeah, it looks amazing visually. Yeah, even just the darker blacks, like the contrast that an OLED screen has, like it really helps to make every little par particle effect kind of stand out more. So, yeah, I, I second that's a very, very pretty game. Yep, yep, yep. All right, cool. Praise. Well, thank you for that, Kevin. Um, since we're talking your guys' retro games. Uh, I was trying to do a transition there, but I didn't have one. So, Angel, hi. What? <laughs> what, what's up with the... the easiest transition. And what? From music to it. music? What's the transition? Well, Sets, go ahead. Well, Tetris isn't really... I guess there's some music, but yeah, Kevin well, said this, this was one of his... Kevin said um, this is one of his favorite games of all time. So you can from Oh, duh. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I know that Rhythm yeah, of Heaven is. Please turn in your badge yeah. and um, go take a we walk. We don't get badges? What? Are we pull? Are we like you podcast police? Why do we? Oh, why would yeah. you have a? Badge? Kevin and I have our our awesome R N badge. Wait, is we it like a? Is it like a? We, we scan it uh, to the campus this way. Oh, it's get like that's our badge. I was thinking like breakfast. A the worst Hold part on. about that is that at my job, I actually do take care of badges, and it's like the bane of my existence. <laughs> it sucks. 
it does it suck because people just lose them and don't know how to use them or does it, it sucks suck because, because the printer that i use hates me the the ink is off like this ribbon and it breaks on me all the time nothing that like some scissors and some scotch tape don't fix but it'd be preferable if i didn't have to fix it right if you didn't have to do arts and crafts every time you need to do a badge yeah every single time that i needed to print a, a person's badge employee badge oh, yeah that, that's gotta be frustrating well, I don't have an RN badge, and uh, Kevin, if you have access to a printer, I would appreciate one. Yeah, don't worry, I got you. speed with YouTube. Thank you, sir. You're getting the lowest access. No escort privileges. I mean, I just need the badge. I just need to look like I'm on par with you guys. If no one has to know the reality of it, <laughs> like I just need the appearance, you know. So, yeah. yeah. But but the anyway, Angel, you to... give Jason that would still make him look lesser than us. What does that even be? I mean, you guys are college. We can just give him a PDF that he can just show on his phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd pop, pop my yeah. phone every time. <laughs> yeah, I have to fumble at the door and be like, one second, sir. Let me just, it was in my Apple wallet. I swear. Oh, where's the attachment? Ah, yeah, that'd be great. That's like every time I go somewhere and have to show my Vax card because I do the digital one. I'm always like, ah, like, even I though I know I need to show it, I'm always card. scrambling at the last second. But, but yeah, Angel. Last second. What? You're scrambling at the last second for the Vax card on your phone? Yeah, like, I, because always when I go to Apple Wallet, like, usually when I need the Vax card, it's something else. Like, you know, it's like a ticket or something. So it always dumps me into the oh, other one. Oh, I see. Like, I oh, see this it. is the location around. I'm like, ah. And they're like, we need it quickly. There's a line behind you. I'm like, ah. So, uh, I gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I no, otherwise, really it's the first you actually time. react like that. Yeah, I turn into uh, a weird cartoon yeah, character like, from like, 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 like Sir, calm down. Like, I go full okay. infomercial. I do the sound of someone that's about to drop seven things, you know. And and my my whole life flashes to a black and white freeze frame, and then it says, "Is this you?" And then it sells me on product. Oh. But anyway, Angel Rhythm Heaven, <laughs> you're gonna talk about your favorite game or the origin story, if you will, of your favorite series. Yeah. So, yeah, finally got a hold of the Japanese copy of Rhythm Heaven. It's obviously been in my to-get list, I guess, pretty much since I found out it existed God knows how many years ago. And, you know, the funny thing is that I've already beaten this game to completion because I've obviously, like, rommed this game many years ago because, you know, it was just never released here in the U.S. So the only way I guess I could play it here in the U.S. without... I don't even say it legally because there's no way to play it here in the U.S. normally. So yeah, just found it. But just like other Rhythm Heaven games, it's incredibly short. But it's cool to see, yeah, like you said, like the origin of a lot of these little, a lot of these things that would become mainstays. You see, you know, the Karate Guy's first appearance. You see, like, the Monkey's first appearance. And surprisingly for a Game Boy Advance game, it goes pretty hard on the music. Like, other rhythm-having games, um, they, you know, they have vocal tracks, but I thought that was going to be like a, actually, and even then, there's, you know what? Oh, no, yeah, there's one vocal track on the, on the DS. And then, you know, the Wii had like multiple, I think it had like four or five. And I thought like, okay, you know, they're ramping up. So I'm guessing the Game Boy Advance had like none and they went to one. But the Game Boy Advance one, I think, actually had two, two or three vocal tracks, and they're like full-on like productions. And in case you didn't know, 
Rhythm Heaven is the brainchild of someone named Tsunku. That's like just the name they go by. Maybe that's their actual name too. I don't know. But they're like the most famous, like one of the most famous lyricists in all of Japan. So someone of that caliber that pretty much like from what I've read, like wrote a lot of the catchiest things in Japan. Just one day I like, you know, I want to make a rhythm game and had an idea and pitched it to Nintendo. And it was supposed to start off as like a, a training series kind of game, just like, you know, brain training. Like, Goji's supposed to fall under that umbrella. But while remnants of that are still there, there's still like a, like the Game Boy Advance game, like, has you take a rhythm test to calibrate where your rhythm starts. And then as you play the game, it keeps track of your flow. So pretty much, you know, the better you do at the rhythm games, which basically means how accurate your button press is to the exact point when you're supposed to hit it. Um, that counter is typically not there as you're playing the game or even in the results screen. It's like an invisible thing that is just... It's always being calculated, but you don't see it until you go to the, the level select menu, and that's where you see the number either go up, down, or stay the same. In, in Mega Mix, they actually changed that and made it, you know, front and center at the end of a... Yeah, when you complete a mini game, you pretty much get a score out of 100. And even as you're playing the game in Mega Mix, when you tap the screen, you know, presumably to the rhythm, you'll see a, I guess you could say like a cursor or pretty much like an effect will pop up on screen. And the closer it is to the center, the more accurate you were to hitting it on beat. To the right means too late. To the left means too early. And yeah, the original Rhythm Heaven pretty much had all this under the hood. And yeah, it was huh. cool seeing that. That's interesting that I always thought like the WarioWare team was like, hey, what if we like theme this around not making video games, but like making music and then reach out to the lyricist? I didn't realize he came to them. Yeah, like, it was, it was more the other way around because then they were yeah, like, that's... oh, so what would be like the like the best team like to do this? And yeah, I guess the Warrior team makes sense. And... That's so interesting. Yeah. Especially because yeah, and... how like you played it in later generations, right? Like it kind of became like a game you like like is in a way it was like your zen out game wasn't it because you used to like play it with your eyes oh, closed yeah, yeah. i feel like a rhythm trainer would be that that's interesting that's really interesting yeah because like rhythm heaven has definitely become the game i go to it it's a game i'm never tired i mean i'm always in the mood for it i could not be in the mood to play smash brothers or mario galaxy or you know any number of like my quote-unquote favorite games and i'm sure like kevin like this game i feel like i could just like pop in at any time and have a good time and mm-hmm. yeah, and it's cool. Like I mean, for a Game Boy Advance game, or if, like for the, I mean, it came out in two thousand seven, so I'm pretty sure the DS was already a thing at that point. Yeah, it was a thing for three years at that point. Yep. And I remember um, when I was reading an Awada asks about that game. Um, they were also asking like Sunku, the you know the that famous composer, pretty much like like why Game Boy Advance like. And apparently, it was like two things. He just really liked how it felt, like holding it. Um, and then we're talking about the, like a regular Game Boy Advance, like not like the SP, but apparently, like the way he would play the Game Boy Advance is he would just, or this, yeah, this guy just plays his Game Boy Advance just by leaving it on the table and just like tapping the buttons that way. So he, so he lays he, it flat and just like, yeah, pecks at he it? just lays it flat, yeah, and just pecks huh. at it. Like that's just how he plays. So it's like, oh, okay. Like, 
maybe I guess that's why he went with something that's completely flat instead of you know even like the the SP. I mean, obviously it's compatible with all of them, and the instructional booklet for the game has a picture of a DS in it. But right, because um, they need to sell that it also plays on the system that's already three years old over here that there is their primary now. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting that you know it was basically a decision of like it's on Game Boy Advance because. Did the creator just felt it better that way? And you know they were already looking at the DS as a potential like, you know, for something they could evolve it on, and they obviously did. Not that long later, I guess two years later, or whenever it came out on DS. Yeah, that was. I think in the states is like twenty two thousand nine or twenty ten with those Beyonce commercials. So yeah, yeah two thousand yeah. Game Boy Advance one came out in two thousand six, and looking at the back of it, yeah, came out in two thousand nine here in the U.S. The DS one. Okay, so it was, and, it was two years after DS, opposed to three, like we originally thought. If it was two thousand six, which yeah, which makes and, sense because Nintendo was still promoting the Game Boy at that point. It was in that weird like gray area where it was like the budget system, and they still had stuff like Drill Dozer. So, yeah, that that makes sense that Nintendo was okay with him doing Game Boy at that point, even though it was like after the DS. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty much a full rhythm having you have. In this one, five mini games per every remix instead of four like you do in the other ones. Um, I have a whole slew of little endless games, little toys. Still as much charm. Obviously, some of the mini games are a little sim- simplistic compared to some of the newer ones, but there are also some here that feel, I guess, almost a little more complex. But yeah, I mean, I, w- I wish I could say if you're a fan of it, you should play it. But I mean, outside of importing a copy from Japan like I did. And in pretty good condition too. I'm pretty happy with how this one came out. Did we already explain um, how, how you're actually how playing that... it? Yeah, I bought a copy from eBay, and I've literally just been playing it on my old DS, which unfortunately okay. full on died. Like after I completed this game, like I I beat every single level in it. Then my DS died, and now I won't even take a charge anymore. And 3DSs don't have Game Boy Advance slots, so I'm kind of out of luck for a while. Do you not have and your SP lying around somewhere? We never had an SP, and I mean, I, I'll just have to look. I'll have to dig for the Game Boy Advance, but that's the thing; like, it's just somewhere stored away. Yeah, so. play it as he intended on original GBA, face up on the table, pecking at it for the true yeah. experience. But that's pretty how much, much if you don't mind me asking, how much does it cost to get a Japan exclusive Game Boy Advance game from 14 years ago on eBay? Not that much. This one cost 50 bucks. I think it was that's that was the wish really game. not bad at all, actually. Considering like yeah, I had all the instructional, but it even came with a sticker sheet that I didn't even know it had, which was really cool. Obviously, I'm. I was cool. thinking at Genuinely. least triple digits. Same, same. I was thinking like 150, 200, because like. Well, it was a rare game about to begin Rith- with because the thing about there Rhythm wasn't Heaven, a lot of Game Boy going on at that point. The thing about Rhythm Heaven is that it's not really in demand because it's not that well known. It's you know it's a niche game, so even the people that like know about it and know the stuff is rare, like the value is low because you know there's no demand. Like no one's like going like oh my god, everyone's like look searching for a copy of Rhythm Heaven. It's like first you need to get people to even know that this version of the game even existed like it had co I mean Nintendo that, has you know, that problem with every version of the game <laughs> so yeah exactly you know one. they just shadow drop it and then they're like alright it's out 
They're no like, more. hey, remember I mean, that? We don't. <laughs> I mean, I'll give them that. Like, yeah, they tried hard with Fever. Like, they actually gave us the whole event and everything. And they also tried hard with the original. Beyonce's not cheap to do commercials. Damn. How many commercials is, are, is Beyonce in, honestly? Like, the, that's the only one I could. That and, like, Tiffany and company <laughs> with that jewelry ad that's been on the air the last year. But besides that, I don't think she's ever done commercials. So they did try a couple times. Yeah. And I guess to kind of build on this, uh, yeah, for a long time, um, I think I've talked about the arcade machine that I had and all that other stuff. Um, You've alluded. <laughs> yeah, so just like this one, I guess this time through the help of a friend, I was actually able to import the arcade machine of Rhythm Heaven. Because at some point, I think the arcade machine came out in 2008 in Japan only. It never left Japan, just like the Game of Advance game. And Sega was playing Rhythm Heaven internally, and they loved the game so much that, you know, they asked Nintendo if they could port it to arcade. And they did. They It's pretty much the exact same game, except they added multiplayer, which is cool. They added some new higher res, uh, you know, pixel art. So, you know, it's still, the, it's still pixel art, but, you know, it's just, it looks a little neater, a little higher res. And, yeah, I mean... It was that thing was probably just as hard to find as probably some of the rarer games out there. Um, and even that when it was out, have, yeah, because even I when say, it that was must out, have cost it, you a lot more, right? Uh, not as much as I thought. Oh yeah, definitely more than fifty dollars. But yeah, like I just like said, like I I bought the thing. Like I found a friend of mine found it, and I had a chance to get it, and I just went for it. I'm just like, you know what? I don't know when this opportunity is going to come up again. And I felt that earned it, so yeah, got myself an arcade machine, which is crazy. And my favorite been... part of the story that you didn't say is you got it, you plugged it in, and you went, yup, and then you unplugged it and didn't touch it for months because you didn't have a spot for it yet, right? So you yeah, literally have just been like looking at it off machine going, yup, for like months now, right? Or have you finally plugged it in? Is it actually up and running? Well, through? yeah, so as Jason said, like, we didn't have, I mean, it, it, when I got it, I wasn't even expecting it to be there. I mean, we weren't expecting it for, like, another month or two. Like, they told us, like, oh, um, yeah, it, it got delayed, you know, COVID, shipping, coordination, and yeah, things got, got a little tricky. I was like, you know what, that's fine. I don't even have room for it right now, so whatever. And then I just get a call, like, I don't remember, it was, like, the day before Christmas, or maybe it was Christmas morning. From Santa No, it was the day before Christmas. And it's raining hard. Like, it was, like, actually, like, tor like torrenting. And, yeah, like, I get a call from a friend, and they're like, dude, they're on their way. They're, like, on your street. And I'm like, what? And they're like, oh, the machine. I'm like, what the heck? So, you know, I had to <laughs> just make any kind of room. Just, like, just move stuff aside. And luckily, I was able to make some. And, yeah, like, it's just kind of been sitting there for months, like, since December until two days ago when... Um, you know, I, w I made a, I put together a quick little video just to kind of show it off for like two coworkers. And yes, yeah, so I finally had a chance to play it. Like I still didn't really have room, so it's like still stored away now. But at the very least, you know, I was able to boot it up and yeah, just check it out, see what everything was all about. And yeah, it was super fun. The buttons feel great. Like I'm happy that it's actually like super responsive. I mean, not that. I was expecting it wasn't going to be, but I've just been trying really hard to play this game for such a long time that 
I've you know been trying to use emulators. I even got like a little cube thing that you put Game Boy Advance games in just so you could play them on your TV, and it works, but it just has some delayed input. So I'm, I'm just gonna have to wait for like my analog pocket to play the Game Boy Advance one, at least some more. But but yeah, the arcade machine, yeah, super fun, super loud. I love that you could like. I finally figured out how to set it to free play so that I can actually play it because yeah, the way that I would have to dig for yen <laughs> and use it like a giant piggy bank. But yeah, I mean it's pretty yeah, much. But the think same of how rewarding it would be just on a TV and loud. Think of how rewarding it would be if you did have to pay and then at the end you like beat the arcade game or whatever you open it up and there's like hundreds of dollars back to you that you could go spend on something else that you kind of like wrote off. Hmm. Well. Wait, say that again? Sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying, think if you did leave the yen requirement on, and then you get through the arcade machine, you know, you get through it, you beat it, and then all that money that you wrote off is now, it's like you want a jackpot. It's like a casino game at that point. You got hundreds of dollars back. Uh. That's what you should do. I mean, you have to go convert a bunch of dollars into yen, but, you know. You made the right choice doing free, free play. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah... And yeah, that's pretty much the, I guess, the life of that arcade machine, which obviously ecstatic to have. And yeah, can't wait to, well, I don't even know. Just can't wait to play some more. <laughs> to have it actually just regularly plugged in? Um, yeah, eventually, but. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I still that's want to try it sometime. I from now. Put it on record that I want to try it sometime once you have it set up properly. I hear you. Wow. Wow. I wonder it's how like, yeah, man, come on over. It's like, draws. I acknowledge your interest. <laughs> I hear you, and I acknowledge uh, you exist. Thanks, buddy. I'll take what I can get, because that seems to be all I'm going to get, so I'll take it. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is, it is kind of interesting. I didn't think this was intentional at all on our part, but how we've been discussing these games you know, both Tetris and Rhythm Heaven is kind of a way to, like, zone out or, like, wind down. They really are a good pair of, like, comfort games, which, you know, they're... It, I feel like comfort games both, like, a genre, but also a concept that really seems to stretch across any number of genres, especially based on, you know, we have puzzle and music right here. Are there other games for you guys that you find to be, like, comfort games or games you can come back to to de-stress at any time? Or are these kind of the pinnacle for you of that idea? Yeah. Think so? I can't really think of any other ones. Um, yeah, I think I would have to say yes. Yes. <laughs> Alright, we got one emphatic yes. <laughs> Kevin, do you have any other like go-to comfort games besides, you know, Tetris Effect or ones you could just zen out to? Not even on Nintendo, just in general. Um, you know, it would probably... I, I would have a bunch of them. Um, Tetris Effect, obviously, being one of them. Yeah. Weirdly enough, Bloodborne would be one of my Zen games. Huh. Yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, something like... <sighs> Resident Evil 5 would probably be a comfort game, just because I know that game like the back of my hand, and I'm so... And I know where everything is, and I know where, where I have to go, and so I just... When you say comfort, you're not talk. Are you talking about like zoning out completely, or being in just, like a state of zen when playing it? I think just yeah, like a state, like just some like an escape, a de-stressor, uh, 
And that's what I mean. That's so interesting. Is like you know there is like comfort games like Stardew Valley is considered like a comfort game on one level, but like mm-hmm. it can be anything really, right? Like oh, then the in person. that case, um, yeah. Mini Motorways, which I still don't think has been released on Switch. It's but, uh, coming, but I don't think it's there yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mini Motorways absolutely is like my one like Zen game. It's you know like, the the other examples you're giving weren't that crazy to me uh, when you're like Bloodborne I was kind of like okay but you know that Resident Evil like for me the one that always comes to mind when I think about like what is my sort of Zen game and this is one I admittedly haven't played in quite a long time but for a long time in high school it was of all things Ridge Racer DS which isn't Ridge you know Racer. A, yes but not the PSP one where they said that the the DS one which was a port of the N64 one um, but yeah it's weird because like. Obviously, it's not a traditional uh, comfort game, uh, both A, because the AIs, like the CPU races are annoyingly difficult at times, and, and B, it's not even that great of a game, like technically speaking, because um, it was it was basically a port of Ridge Racer 64, but it had, I think they added some like themed cars for Namco and Nintendo IPs, and I guess there was like touchscreen steering, I used the D-pad still, so I don't really remember, but the reason I say Ridge Racer is like in a way... Because it didn't have any bells or whistles, it was just like Ridge Racer 64, but on another device. Like, it was just, you know, moving forward, moving fast, drifting, trying not to collide with anything. Actually, to the point where, like, the physics were bad enough that even on the DS, it's kind of ridiculous. And if you hit a wall, you know, you, that was it. You were done. It, but if you stay on track, you're okay. And because that's all there was, it was easy for, like, teen me to just get in a zone, you know, steer, drift, drive, no power-ups, no real variety of track obstacles, just steer, drift, drive. And I had these memories, like, in the high school years, like, sitting there on my DS, off on, like, a Friday night. My dad's watching, like, a late-night commentary on the Iraq War or something. And I was just, you know, steer, drift, drive, like, being in a sort of zen state with the game, even as janky as it was. And I don't... I have no idea if it would hold up whatsoever if I were to revisit it today. Uh, my guess is a big old nope. But at the time, like, it, it was my comfort game. It did, for me, like, kind of... What Tetris effect for me, Motorways does for you, or what Rhythm Heaven does for you, Angel, and and yeah, as I as I think about it, it is interesting that like the idea of a comfort game, because you know, Ken, you're even asking like, well, what do you mean? Do you mean like, well, a comfort game is traditionally or something we zen out to? And the fact that like both are true, like everyone can get in their zone in their own way. Like that's you know, for some it's gonna be a sports game, for others it's gonna be shooters. Like it's just interesting that that can happen because you you know like because it, it's it's so diverse for each person and and not to get ahead of our what we're playing segment here with news since we'll, we'll get to news and i still want to talk about crx myself but i have to imagine this comfort game thing is why there was some pushback from a subset of people to nintendo's decision to indefinitely delay advance wars one plus two reboot camp they cited it as due to real-world events, which translates, you know, to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, and on the surface, that I think makes total sense. Like, Advance Wars, you know, it does look like a very lighthearted game that may be silly until you realize that it's literally just a cartoonification of exactly what's going on over there. I mean, literally, if you've played the first exactly. Advance Wars. Exactly. If you played the first Advance Wars, there was a plot point, a major plot point, that Blue Moon, which was one of the five armies... They're standing for Russia from how they dress with their hats to their bases looking like Russian architecture. Blue Moon invades its neighboring country, Orange Star, unprovoked. Literally what just happened over there. So from a PR perspective and just a general, I don't know, 
respect and sensitivity to others and of others, uh, the delay makes sense a hundred percent. And, and in this, you know, it's the same way that oddly enough, the original advanced wars was also delayed right before launch back in, uh, the GBA days, Europe and Japan, they had to delay it because it was going to come out right after nine 11 here in the States it actually came out the day before nine 11. So it kind of sidestep sort of, but like series has bad luck in general, but like, you know, just, I, I think we could agree it was probably the right move to delay it, right? Like, it feels like something that'd be kind of touchy given how close it is to the real conflict. Yep, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah, but I will say, I think folks who wanted the game to stay on track aren't necessarily all in the wrong. Like, it was on, it was trending on Twitter, like, nationally for a while after it was announced and the delay. Um, and... I'm sure a subset of them just don't care about the broader issue at play and want their, you know, their gosh darn video game or whatever. But I look back at the start of the pandemic and, you know, there are a lot of us that dove into Animal Crossing as an escape and that became a comfort game. But a game like Plague Inc., which was literally a game about how to manage a pandemic, that also saw huge gains in player counts because for some people sort of living through it was where they found comfort. Like maybe it gave them a sense of control in the situation or you know, a variation of reality where they they had some structure that was missing in the real world equivalent. And this could be conscious or subconscious, but you know, that might have been a driving force. If you look back at the Iraq war, like Call of Duty Modern Warfare really rose to prominence in the midst of the U.S. having its own Middle Eastern conflicts that were essentially being recreated in the game. So, and obviously that was also overseas, so you're a little removed, but it was still happening. So beyond just like you know the initial disappointment of an anticipated game being delayed not just from december to april but now literally indefinitely so indefinitely it's been yanked off the eShop. um i do kind of get why some people still want it as planned like it could be their comfort game in the same way we have ours you know it's kind of like comfort foods right like for some people they love breakfast things or soups or fast food and others get stressed out by those and just want a salad and it's the salad that brings them the sense of calm you know to other people that makes no sense so I, I guess my, what I'm getting at is it's probably the right move to delay. And obviously, considering we talked about all Nintendo's release schedules, we're touching on that as delayed. But I do kind of get why some people were a little disappointed or upset by the delay. Because that could have been their comfort game in the way Bloodborne is for you, Ridge Racer is for me, et cetera, et cetera. So um, for those folks who are bummed out and now stuck in limbo, any guesses to when we may actually see Advance Wars show up? Do you think uh, When do you think it would be appropriate at this point? I don't know. My guess would That's be they can't just wait till the war ends. Later. Like they can't just pick. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, because a lot of what well, I saw a lot of people like, okay, great. So once they like declare a treaty, we can get our game, right? But oh, I feel no, like no, you're no, going to have no, to no, wait no. like this nine to 12 months is after just way that. more complicated than that. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think it, this is going to be a very rare thing where poor way forward because they put so much effort into this game. This is going to be a very rare thing where I think it's going to be years before we see it. At minimum, a year, maybe nine months after. No, 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 no. God no, down. God no. We we will see this within the next year. You think so? Yeah. I mean, that's also right, assuming that right now this issue, this this whole Ukraine Russia conflict is very well. It's pressing, and mm-hmm. but like. It's one of those things where after a certain point, at least, well, you know. I know you're going to say, people are going to burn out on it as a topic. Americans have the, the, uh, the memory of a goldfish. So, which is sad, (laughs) but yes. Yeah. The the only, the only tricky thing is, so do they stagger the release at that point? Like, 
does it come to America and then Europe where this is not as in the background? Uh, I'd there. say so, yeah. So, yeah. But I guess, I guess we'll see. But yeah, it's very rare that Nintendo not only delays a game but completely removes it from their online store. It's still on Nintendo.com, but it's gone from the eShop. You cannot find it on the eShop. So we, we shall see what this shapes up to be, but it's definitely a strange circumstance and one that only seems to happen to Advance Horse for its bad luck. But um, anyway, yeah, that was kind of a weird tangent. Sorry, I, I admit that was weird. Um, to bring us back to what we were playing, I did want to talk a bit about F-Zero GX. Uh, sorry, not GX, F-Zero X. Uh, it's only been on Switch for a couple days now, but as someone who played every F-Zero except X, uh, it's interesting to now play it for the first time. And right off the bat, let me tell you, comfort game, this is not. Like, there's no zenning out or de-stressing here, at least not for me. I think a lot of that has to do with X requiring precision. And it, it requires it in a way that sort of bridges the 2D F-Zeros and what I consider to be the pinnacle of the series, which is, which is GX. Um, like, with the 2D games, I feel like obviously a big part of the equation and what really separated it from something like Super Mario Kart at the time was that you did have a little bit more need for precision. There's some wiggle room because tracks are a bit wide, but you want to make sure, you know, you hit that turn just right or you're going to take damage, you know, either from hitting a wall or miscalculating your angle and ending up in that rough stuff on the side of the track. I don't, I don't know what they call it, the rough area, you know, you know what I'm referring to. Um, and X from what I played so far basically furthers that idea and now in 3D, right? So every decision you make is one that, you know, needs to be precise you could risk serious damage and ultimately lose the race. And you have the turns like before, but now you also have 3D shapes. You're able to drive around at full 360. You have jumps from those objects that if you're not facing just right when you land, you know, off you go to your death. Uh, you have, you know, the, the spin attack now for the first time and side attacks, which, you know, let you make the risk, assess- risk assessment of whether trying to knock out an opposing racer will give you an edge or cause your own demise. Uh, and it's a very split second thing you need to do, especially in X's um, death race mode where you're tasked with knocking out all 29 of your opponents as fast as you can. It's literally like the concept of Battle Royale before Battle Royales were, th- were even a thing. Um, so that, that was kind of cool to see. Um, and it's all, you know, it's just this neat evolution of 2D F-Zero. And as a first pass of that idea back in the 90s, it's very good at it. But I'm coming into this after having played F-Zero GX and that to me feels like a refinement of all these ideas except Death Race. Death Race somehow didn't make it up into the sequel. But like the 3D shapes, the precision-based driving now becoming even more of like split-second impulse things thanks to, you know, how GX had a better sense of speed and some forking paths and whatnot on the tracks, better physics overall. Like GX just took it further. And it kind of reminds me, Angel, I almost finally understand why you don't like Star Fox 64 as much as other people. Like, cause you came in with a later Star Fox game, right? So like, here's this thing where you come in when the franchise already evolved further, you, you know, uh, and now you're going back to an earlier thing and you don't see the appeal of the earlier thing cause you know what the later thing can do, right? Like, even if you play later 2D F-Zeros, like GP Legend, which is a very overlooked Game Boy Advance game that is very good. It's based on the anime that lasted all of like a year. But anyway, they actually 2D-ified some of the narrower track split second stuff you got in GX. Uh, so that's there, but somehow an earlier 3D version like X doesn't have that. So it's like X, if you're coming into the series at a later time, feels like it's missing some stuff. I will say where I think it differs from the, well, I was going to say, I will say where I think it differs from the Star Fox situation for me is that Assault sort of sheds some of the score attack, arcadey replayability of 64. 
like the on foot stuff doesn't have the same like score attack vibe as anything that's on rails. F zero, which you could see as a plus, correct? But if you're coming into Star Fox with, you know, it's a score attack arcade shooter thing, you know, it's a different a different perspective on it. But with F zero, I feel like when they went from X to GX, really it's one to one. It's just more of the same. Like they introduced new ways to feel just as twitchy. Star Fox actually expanded past pure score attack arcadiness. So that's kind of where I see there being a difference. But I now do appreciate on some level how you feel about Star Fox that maybe I didn't before. Um, but the other thing that does take some adjustment with, with F-Zero X for me uh, were the controls, which are sensitive to say the least if you're you know if you're using a regular switch uh control stick like the joy con or the pro controller uh it is pretty sensitive you can see it for yourself in the most blatant way when adjusting your vehicle's balance you know like right before you trace you can pick top speed versus acceleration and if you nudge the stick just a hair it flies all the way to the far side of that like spectrum like you can't you have to use the d-pad to actually granularly like pick where you want to be if you otherwise it's, it's extremes and i feel like the controls really kind of highlight I kind of how I word this they kind of highlight how much analog control has actually changed since the N64 days because like you know if you look at an N64 controller and or the N64 controller for the Switch if you bought one of those uh, you know it's this tiny little rod sticking up and it has like the kind of octagonal eight little um, notches that can sort of press against right and then if you look at like a modern analog stick it's like this ball with a thumb pad on the end and for a lot of games that's totally fine like they both serve the same purpose but twitchiness can matter for like a 3ds zero and having that extra nuance especially as someone coming from gx where the gamecube controller sort of was the bridge between those like it had like the analog stick had those sweet spots but it was a little more circular in its movement i guess you could say uh like it, it can it can matter here, and the idea can be built to work just fine with the current Joy-Con or Pro Controller. You know, like Fast Remix does that well, for example. But if a game was built with the other type of like more precision-based analog in mind of the N64, or the kind of like more you know minute movements you could do because of how its controller was shaped, its stick was shaped, it stands out a little bit in this one when it isn't built for the current set. But that if that makes sense, because it's like a different type of analog. Um, so far, though, I am finding that getting the hang of the controls it has been a worthwhile endeavor. I think it is for a few reasons. First, the track designs I've experienced so far have been really varied and fun. Like, it, it's not as visually interesting in the way that GX is, or even, you know, if you want to do apples to apples, Mario Kart 64 has more interesting visuals. Uh, like, this is just a lot of basic shapes and colors, honestly. Um, but layout wise, like it keeps you on your toes. There's lots of different, um, twists and turns, literally and figuratively. Uh, the music's great, uh, which is, you know, part for the course for F-Zero. So that's one reason to check it out. Reason number two is that this is the first and as of now only, uh, online F-Zero experience that you can get. So finally, fully four player online F-Zero exists. And, uh, it's interesting because when Nintendo promoted this in the reveal video of it joining Switch Online plus expansion pack, this was the first time they called out online in a single game trailer in this way, from what I recall. Like, they, they made a point, like, hey, it's online F-Zero, which I don't remember them doing for any other Switch Online game. They didn't, you know, go, it's online now. It was just, that was just something you expect with it, but it's when they called it out. So for all of us who had a dream of, you know, online F-Zero GX or 
the fewer of us who maybe had a chance to try multiple F-Zero AX arcade machines linked together, you kind of get a taste of that here. So it's it's cool. And um, and reason number three it's maybe worth checking out is that F-Zero is just such a unique part of Nintendo history. Like it, in what it did and what it didn't do. Like one thing that struck me as kind of interesting with X is that the menu layouts look cookie cutter straight out of Mario Kart 64. And I think that's the only time I've ever seen Nintendo cross franchise use the same interfaces. I mean, obviously they like tweak the fonts or whatever, but like the structure of the menus and the background grade, like it's Mario Kart 64's menu system. And that just like, that just jumped out at me. It's kind of weird. Uh, but then you, you know, you've got stuff with F-Zero, like they had the 64DD version, which this is not, this does not include, unfortunately, but they had like a custom track editor. Or at one point, you know, there was a, uh, Virtual Boy entry called Zero Racers. It was going to come out and was actually complete. It was finished. It was done. Uh, Did you know gaming? The YouTube channel interviewed a former NOA employee who said himself he handled the manual. He oversaw the debugging. He ensured it had an ESRB rating. They had marketing materials drawn up, and yet it never happened. So my point is, this is a franchise that like has been through a lot of ups and downs through Nintendo. We've seen opportunities for it to grow and opportunities where it kind of stifled that growth. So if there's any hope that we may see a return in a real way or even just an HD port of GX and AX, uh, it's going to start with people engaging with F-Zero X because I'm sure Nintendo can see player data and can you know assess the interest to some degree off that data. So the fact that they're considering it a value add that can help further push Switch Online's expansion pack already seems like a plus and if it can then be demonstrated by fans of f-zero that like yeah we actually are enjoying this fingers maybe that's an opening so so that's kind of that's kind of the three reasons i say even if the controls are screwy to me i'm still having a a, a good time with f-zero is really just what it represents what it does and what its potential can be so but it also brings us to you know that discussion um about what nintendo's been up to with their services because i was saying this is a value add right um, so before I get there, do you, did you guys ever play F-Zero X? Do you have any memories of it, thoughts on it, anything you want to say about it? Never played it, actually. And... Nope. <laughs> I, played it. <laughs> I feel like it slipped under the radar for a lot of N64 owners. I don't know why. It came out like two years into the system's life, so you would think it would have some attention, but I feel like it definitely did not move mountains. And Kevin, I assume you didn't play it either. Uh, Correct. Yeah, so that's three three big Nintendo fans who never played it. Like, they, what happened there, Nintendo? But anyway, okay, that that's perfect in a way because that brings us to the whole host of activity we saw from Nintendo these past few weeks, which does involve their services. Really, the bulk of the news cycle for them these past two weeks is services. And, and like I was saying kind of in the episode intro, um, it's not the scale or scope of what we saw in February. We're not getting huge blockbuster reveals. We're not talking about, you know, how we now have to spend however much money by July on these other big games. Like instead we're we're seeing a lot of small, subtle moves of Nintendo essentially shoring up their efforts in the other way that companies now love to milk us for money, which is services. And we're seeing it in like a few different kind of in tandem ways. Um I think perhaps the most blatant is everything going on with Switch Online. And this, to be fair, is a play that did start with those big blockbuster announcements last month. You know, they revealed Mario Kart's booster course pass. Uh, that's going to be included with the Switch Online expansion pack, uh, which also means, you know, at the time they revealed that, we discussed how it's a play to get more people into the service, generate some revenue off the, you know, millions of copies of Mario Kart sold, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, but to that point, the MPD numbers for February came out right before we're here recording this, and that logic is in action. Switch is still number one on the sales chart in terms of hardware. Uh, we're still seeing games with DLC baked into the expansion pass, being in the top 15 total bestsellers for the industry. Mario Kart 8, Fanglet number 8, Animal Crossing at number 13. So even though the big story of the month was Elden Ring absolutely dominating at number one. Yeah, Horizon baby. Forbidden West coming in at number two. Yeah, like if you go to the blog posters episode, the, the headline doesn't even say Nintendo on the MPD link. It's just Elden Ring. It's it's doing gangbusters. Um, I believe Namco Bandai actually is something kind of cool that we don't see enough of in the industry where after the game came out and it was clear that it was going to do well, they gave all the developers a raise at the studio. Nice. And there's bonuses and stuff, but it's rare that Japanese companies actually like pay well for their developers. Like it, it's really poorly paid over there. I've learned over the years. Um, but yeah, so while all that's going on, you know, Nintendo can still make bank off their older games on the chart by, you know, retrofitting them as kind of little mini services. Even if simultaneously at number three they still have Pokemon Legends Arceus doing its thing. You know, we discussed last episode. We may not see a lot of DLC for that long term because Scarlet and Violet are coming out. But if they've got those ever, those uh, excuse me, those evergreens, and they're hooked into services now. That's just more money in Nintendo's par- pocket, regardless of who's having the best time on any given monthly chart or where the latest first party release may sit. It's like a second level of diversifying their revenue for them beyond just evergreens. And in fact, there's one game that seems primed to join this party, pun absolutely intended, and that is Mario Party Superstars. Um, so it's it's primed in a couple ways. I believe it's been on the chart consistently since it launched. Uh, I think in February, yeah, in February it was in 13th place, which is up two spots from where it was the prior month. And I know we always said we thought Super Mario Party would get DLC, and then it never really did. But there's actually evidence it may happen from Superstars this time around. First... Data miners way back when it came out in October found references in the code to potential additional uh, boards. They may be test boards. They may be some placeholders for the future. Hard to say. But then last week, uh, someone in the Mario Party subreddit, which I recently learned was actually a thing, um, shared <laughs> a screenshot of a YouTube advertiser survey that they received that asked if they plan to, de- to buy DLC, what would they buy next? And the options were the tracks from Mario Kart 8, Happy Home Paradise for Animal Crossing, somewhat randomly Hot Wheels Unleashed, um, and then Mario Party Superstars. So if DLC were to pan out, what would you guys say, as we are all, I'd say, enthusiasts of this version of Mario Party, what would you say is more critical at this point? Do we need more boards? Do we need more minigames? Like, what's the boards. piece that... Boards. boards. There's more than enough minigames. Just give us boards. That's, like, what and it would... makes it fun to revisit. If you give us minigames, give us, like... If you give us boards, give us like two mini games. I, I I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with no mini games, but boards, 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 boards. Would you want? So when I think of boards, I think they need to find ones that have gimmicks in the same way that the current ones do, right? Because each board has its own like hook in Superstar. So would just more of the same boards work, or does it need to follow no, that path? A, we need to have a different. I mean, I don't think it matters which ones, but I mean, if we're picking favorites, like they gotta give us at least a Bowser Land of sorts, because some of the early Bowser Lands from the N sixty four were great. Like, Mario Party 2 is Bowserland, had, like, the the rotating path, which, you know, may be too similar to the to the woods one, so they may not pick that one. But, I don't know. Or, you know, they also have, like, so many from later Mario Party that they could, like, branch out to, so, yeah. I weirdly would be curious if they do ones from, like, Island Tour, 
<laughs> just because no one I like Island Island Tour sold well. It sold a few million, but like I feel like it's like the weird like black sheep of the Mario Party lineup. Like it'd be interesting if they somehow were able to integrate some of that stuff into like the core game. Because even when they talk about like the history of Mario Party, they don't even count Island Tour. Like they say there's like eleven Mario Parties or twelve Mario Parties or whatever, and they leave that one out, even though it's like a full fledged but portable Mario Party. So I'd be interested just because that would be something entirely different for so many people. Um, but yeah, Bowser Land makes a lot of sense, I think. Kevin, are there any boards that you are itching for from the memory mm. bank? I'm trying to think. Something from Mario Party 4 I, I would like. That's because I'm a Mario Party 4 guy. Right, right. I I They won't do it, but I would love if they somehow brought back the costumes from Mario Party 2 as part of the DLC. Like, it makes no sense for, like, how their whole expansion pass DLC strategy works, or they just, like, you know, expand the current game offerings in very, like, easy-to-explain pieces that can be broken off should you cancel your subscription. Uh, and costumes would kind of be weird because they would also go back into the main game. But that would that would be kind of cool, I think, if they somehow got the cowboy outfits and the spaceman outfits and all that, the astronaut outfits back. Um, but yeah, I, get, I, get, I mean, this DLC, to be clear, it's not foolproof that this is going to happen, but it does make sense. Like, if you look at what type of games are getting DLC that are also included in Expansion Pass, like those deal or Expansion Pack, I mean, like those DLC offerings are just like tacked on, you know, they're all the long tail sellers. And then you look at the speed with which Nintendo is increasing the value adds for Switch Online. I mean, we went from what, six to eight weeks between N64 games to, I think, two between Majora's Mask and F-Zero X. We now have the Mario Kart Booster Course Pass. Uh, you know, it was announced three months after Animal Crossing. Uh, getting Happy Home Designer now is coming out eight days after F-Zero X. They just yesterday, as of this recording, rolled out the latest game trial program for Monster Hunter Rise, and that happens now through the 17th. Like, there, there's what feels to me like a clear escalation here with multiple simultaneous benefits for subscribers. And I think I think we're going down that path where more and more stuff's going to get piled into Switch Online. And it pairs well with the new, like, little things Nintendo's been doing to add more value to their subscription service just as a whole. The biggest small thing um, that they did was this new mission and reward system that ties into Switch Online and my Nintendo. It got zero fanfare when it was released. They launched it literally in the middle of the night. They never tweeted about it or anything. Are you guys familiar with it at all? Have you poked around? Do you know about the mission reward thing? I know of it just because you tweeted about it and that's about it so so i did nintendo's marketing for them on that one yeah okay. yeah well, well, i let remember me... seeing your tweet and thinking like wait can't you mix and match the background colors already on the switch so sort of yeah so let, let me walk through basically the whole setup here because i i suspect a lot of people don't know about it and i also suspect because i was confused by it first that intended poor job of explaining it so basically it is a digital extension of my Nintendo rewards that are already in place. So for those not super familiar with it, um, there are two types of coins you earn based on how you engage with Nintendo as a brand. You get your gold coins when buying games, and those are then exchangeable essentially for discounts on future eShop downloads. You get platinum coins by doing other stuff. Um, you know, they maybe hide things on game's website, which is a very transparent ploy to get you to read up on a specific game, or they have you log into one of Nintendo's mobile games and complete a task and you get the coins, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. And those coins, the platinum ones, are redeemable for various physical and digital awards that they put out through my Nintendo. So phone wallpapers, which I never understood why they charge coins for a JPEG, but 
phone wallpapers, you know, the, the annual physical calendar standee, the WarioWare pins, Pokemon Snap postcards, Master Sword, like, pop sockets, you know, all that stuff that you can get with points. So what they did is they took all that and they dumped it onto the Switch directly, but only for paying Switch Online members. So yeah, Angel, you're right, we can do backgrounds, but this is like one step further only for Switch Online folk. So now you can complete rewards on your Switch for the first time. That includes stuff as simple as playing an online game once per week or booting up a certain NES or Super Nintendo game that they tell you that's already you know in your subscription anyway. And then, ta-da, you now have 10 or 30 more Platinum Coins or whatever, and you can use those coins towards the same prizes as before, what physical items, what JPEGs that shouldn't cost money, you know, what have you. But they now also give you the option to quote-unquote purchase um, custom elements to generate exclusive player icons for your Switch profile. And these are more than just changing the background color on your Mii. These are foreground characters. These are background patterns. These are picture borders. You can mix and, mix and match, and they're going to rotate them all. So right now there's Mario Odyssey ones. There's two sets, each available for two weeks. And then there's Animal Crossing ones, which will change every month to offer whichever character has the birthday that, or whichever set of characters has birthdays that month. Uh, all meaning that now you're not just limited in whatever Nintendo includes in the firmware for your system-wide icon, nor are you limited to only have any sense of customability if you can change the background on your me. You can now actually whip up something a little more unique to you, and the combinations become more infinite with each new icon rotation they roll out in the months to come. So kind of a neat concept, right? Like, does it appeal to you guys at all? No, unfortunately oh, really. Yeah, I mean, I mean first, I mean, I mean, first, it's a superficial part of like, yeah, like I don't think I saw any any avatar that made me want to go like, oh, I want this. Um, and even then, the one I already have, I have literally haven't changed since day one because I just really love that Bowser art. So I don't really have any reason to change it unless like they make a chat on one. But I don't think know. Pokemon, Pokemon are part Pokemon. of it. Um, Might be, I mean, yeah, but there for, isn't. So yeah, there isn't yet. Correct. It's very basic level at this point. And, and yeah, for me, I, I don't think I can ever part with my me. That's like my Nintendo identity is my me. I use it everywhere. So, um, and, you know, even on this podcast, look at look at your podcast app, listeners. You see our me's. You don't see, I don't know, a like Mario Odyssey icon. <laughs> my Nintendo but, identity. Yeah, it's it's my yes, it's it's my Nintendo Nintendo identity. Like the my Nintendo store. Anyway, I do think Nintendo, Nintendo is. Nintendity, yes. Um, I do think Nintendo is on to something here because I have first-hand data from my regular job that stuff like this does actually work. Like maybe we don't care. And I rarely talk about my job on the podcast. So for, for those who don't know, um, I do – I work in online communities and it's my responsibility to manage them and foster engagement. And for that, uh, like for me, I love doing this because uh, if you know my history at all from what I've shared on the show over the years – it was Nintendo's official forums that helped me connect with a lot of like-minded folks over this shared passion of obviously Nintendo. So I now get to help grow those connections between other people over their shared passions, whatever it may be. And one thing I found repeatedly across multiple communities I manage is that folks love to, in the simplest of terms, flex. They like to be able to point out their special in some way and to flaunt it. So for us at work, that came in the form of little badges they can put under their name. Some of them are based on if they participate in charity drives, the community hosts. Others are, you know, whether people perhaps are in the military and want to share they're a veteran of the armed services. Some are even just a little icon to show, hey, 
you've been a member for X number of years or even stranger, you paid for premium membership. And this desire to stand out in some way has not only driven people to buy those premium memberships, like we offer physical items, but they often don't even claim the item and just want the like stars under their name. But it's also led to lurkers in our communities, as in folks who only read and never actually post. They not only started posting, but became active posters. Like of in one of our communities, we have about a thousand people who requested these veteran badges. Um, half of them were lurkers. After they got those badges, they all started engaging directly. So in terms of what Nintendo's doing here, I do get what they're going for, and I think it will work with some group of people, maybe not us three, but being able to have that custom icon pop up on your friend's friend list or in-game or whatever, like there is an appeal there. Being part, you know, not just of the exclusive club where you can do that because you're in Switch Online and you're special, but being able to then show like, look how much of a Switch gamer I am. I have the latest icon editions on my profile. Like, I have this border you didn't even know existed because you didn't see it yet or you didn't have the coins to get it yet. Like, it's a low, low low-key Xbox gamer score, PlayStation trophy type move. Like, obviously, it's not as much of a flex in that regard. But it's a very Nintendo-y way to show fellow Nintendo gamers you actually are, like, a big, engaged, dedicated fan. And even if it's on a subconscious level that, that that's why you're doing it, that's a driver and I've seen it time and time again so it makes sense I get why they're doing this even if for us we don't personally care as much Um, where I do think it's a bit lackluster is the implementation itself because it's just kind of weak like yeah they have rotating icons but you have to keep them within a set so you can't do a Mario background with an Animal Crossing character you can't take an Animal Crossing frame and put it on your standard Mii icon in fact Street Pass, I would say, did this exact idea so many, so much better so many years ago because they let you dress up your me with outfits based on other games. So you were able to kind of marry your personality with, you know, your favorite game. And like the icon shop for uh, Switch here, you still had, even with the Street Pass, you still had ways to gain new outfits, some limited time, some were readily available. They had all that, all those mechanics in place, just felt a little more flushed out than you can put a border on your JPEG. Um, but even if the argument, Let's say it's not about trying to do a street pass thing. Let's say it's just trying to bring some personality to your Switch, right? Like, not just to your avatar, but just to liven up your Switch a little and let you customize something on it in a, for really the first time. If that's the whole concept with, you know, the icons kind of shaking up the sterile interface, then sure, like, I see how they are kind of mirroring Badge Arcade on the 3DS and implementation of just, you know, here's some cool JPEGs that'll spice up your, your experience. But at the same time, it doesn't have the freedom that made Badge Arcade on the 3DS so cool. Like they, there you can mix and match whatever you wanted anywhere on the screen. Like it could be in the regular icon structure, like along the little pegs on your menu, or it could just be slapped somewhere. Like you, you need to stay in the icon here, which makes it so rigid that it doesn't feel quite as fun. Like it's just kind of like, I don't know, like it, it feels sort of like its hands are tied. Um, I do think the other downside, and obviously I've given this way too much thought, but I do think the other downside that's perhaps a bit silly but feels like a missed opportunity in the, is that there's no there's no way to necessarily notify you of new icons being available. You're supposed to remember that come April 9th, Mario Odyssey is gone. But two weeks before that, you're rotating some other Mario Odyssey images in there, different from the ones you just saw. But only once a month, Animal Crossing is going to change too. Like, it's a lot of things at once. And the 3DS at least had its notification light. Um, so if you weren't on your system, you'd be like, oh, something's up. And they can theoretically leverage the Switch's notification light around the home button that's currently used for only, what, Ring Fit Adventure, I think. Um, but I'm thinking, like, why not use the Switch Online app? In fact, why not give full access to missions and rewards from the app? 
and then allow for push notifications if people do want to know when stuff rotates. Because like, here's the thing to me, and again, I've given this way too much thought. The benefits of these icons are kind of twofold, right? Like there's a reason Nintendo's doing this. First, obviously, they want you to feel the urge to flex like I was talking about. So they put up, you know, they put it behind a paywall to get you to subscribe. That's money right there for them. But they want you to keep showing off. They want you to keep buying icons with coins, to stay, you know, stay subscribed and re-up when it's renewal time. And if you need to get coins, you need to do the missions, which you need to be on your Switch for. So I would wager that it won't be long. I would bet you that, you know, they're going to start having missions that tie into new releases. Race in your first Mario Kart booster course pass track this week for 30 coins. Or if Nintendo wants to get real wild with this data tracking, use mouthful, mo- mouthful mode in Kirby and the Forgotten Land for the first time for 10 coins. You know, that sort of granularity, they do that in their mobile games already. Those are the sort of missions mobile games had. So it is possible. And then providing a way to put those missions in front of people on their phone by, by choice, of course, but it to provide that option to get people not on their Switch to go to their Switch, that seems like such a no-brainer to me and an easy way to gain extra exposure for newer games and projects. Um, so the thing I keep thinking about is one of Reggie's, and I think former Nintendo president Kimishima, the stopgap president, after Iwata passed, um, I think one of the things they always used to like to say was that Nintendo's always competing for people's time. And this, you know, time's not just in other games, it's movie streaming, it's web surfing, Angel, it's literally your, we only have so much time in this world that you love to say. Um, so seriously, like, why not reach out to people when they are not at their Switch and they are doing other things with app notifications? I guarantee you there's people like me who fall into the camp where we'll leave those notifications on or we'll turn them on, and we may act depending on what we see, but will I, a diehard who literally co-hosts a Nintendo podcast, always be drawn on my own volition or by my own volition, however you say that, to go check the missions and icons myself? No, there's no chance I'm going to do that. And even if you don't care about the icons, the missions still get you physical rewards. And I, am I going to check? Nope. But I think a notification like that seems like a no-brainer. That would draw me in sometimes. And I think it opens a whole world of options to them at that point. Because one other thing Nintendo did these last couple weeks... Uh, it's a very small value add for Switch Online, but since our last episode, they revamped the app. has a new design, faster access to voice chat if you're one of those weirdos who's still using it in 2022. But most notably, you can also view your friends list to see who's online. First time you can do that. You can't message them or invite them to anything, but you can know if they're there. So to me, the next logical step, and what I have to imagine it's laying the backbone for, is more accessibility to your friends list. I, I'm not banking on messaging, but I think allowing phone notifications that someone invites you to a game, that might be sort of an interesting way to get people to come back to the Switch. Like, obviously, right now it requires you're also online in order to get an invite, but the app has this little thing already. The update includes this tiny little thing. You can change your online status from within the app right now. So you can go and tell people you're online even if you're actually not online. So why not let people have a way to always reach you for a game. Why not just let you invite folks that way? You don't have to necessarily be able to accept in the app or launch the game from the app. That'd be weird. But just to be able to know there's a buddy who's like, hey, do you want to join us for Mario Kart? And they can walk over to your Switch and start playing. Like, I don't know. It just seems like a no-brainer. And along the same line of thinking, like, what about accepting or rejecting friend requests or viewing a friend's full profile? Like, as it stands with the update they rolled out um, just recently, you can see what people are playing at the moment. So why not go one step further and show us the full play history? I mean, like, literally, why not? That's more opportunities for people to jump into game listings, maybe make a purchase. 
essentially what I'm saying is I've given up that we're ever going to get messaging on this thing. Like Nintendo clearly thinks we just talk to people elsewhere. I mean, the, the update also included a baked in way to copy your friend code to send to someone, which means Nintendo knows we're talking to people elsewhere. But there's still a lot they can do to add further value to the service beyond just like what they've done. Like this feels like it's like the opening silo to a potentially like cool cohesive experience is there is there anything in the app i know messaging is a biggie but is there anything in the app that you would want to see at this point or have you just wrote it off completely like is there a way you want yeah, to connect to town? the app is kind of dead to me <laughs> i haven't really thought about it in a long time frankly saying even until now, they start doing updates yeah and even then even these updates nothing has nothing has given it value to me yeah, I don't know. I just can't really justify using it. I never but... I never downloaded it, so I don't know if this is already a feature. But when you take screenshots or videos on Switch, do they show up in the, on this app? They do not automatically. What you can do, which is really silly, is you can generate a QR code on your Switch. You can connect your you can scan that QR code with your phone, it'll open a temporary Wi Fi unique connection like a local Wi-Fi between your Switch and your phone, and they can load a local web page on your phone that has the screenshot. It's four steps. It's ridiculous. I know PlayStation, it just jumps over, as does Xbox, I think, right? So that just recently happened on PlayStation where... Okay. Where on the PlayStation app, whenever you take a screenshot on your PS5, it'll automatically get uh, updated there. So they just got it. So I can understand Nintendo not having it. Right. But so another three years there, there's, there's one feature. Have... have have at it, Nintendo. Yeah, I, I think that would... competitor. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot they could take for their competitors because what their competitors do super well is um, they just crisscross their offerings into one cohesive package, right? Like the Xbox app, you can browse the Xbox store, you can do whatever all from the Xbox app. It just would make sense to me to fully bring together everything. Like independent of all the Switch Online changes that I was just rallying off, like a week before that roughly... Nintendo um, did that idea of combining things on their website. Uh, before, they had the Nintendo.com side of things where you could browse and download eShop games. They had the My Nintendo side of things, and that kind of loosely connected that. And they had store.nintendo.com. So if you wanted to get a My Nintendo reward, you had to get the code generated on my.nintendo.com, then input it by jumping to a new window on store.nintendo.com. Meanwhile, your My Nintendo notifications, which were really just news stories about games, were accessible in a special pane on Nintendo.com, but you couldn't access that same My Nintendo information on store.nintendo.com. Yet Nintendo.com separately had its own news feed that generated basically the same stories, but in a different place and under a different title. Meanwhile, store.nintendo.com profiles had a separate account history from your My Nintendo profile, so if you wanted to look at your orders from the past, you had literally different physical and digital lists under different domains and different account logins, kind of. Point is, it was very disjointed until it suddenly wasn't. All of it was combined into what they're now calling the My Nintendo Store. All your account activity, one account. All your updates, one account. The layout of you know individual game pages on Nintendo.com was tweaked so you could actually buy physical or digital of a game from the same place. You didn't need to jump to store at Nintendo.com if you wanted Nintendo to ship it to you versus download it. Like, it makes sense that as Nintendo views Nintendo accounts as the core of their whole ecosystem, which they've repeatedly said in investor briefings over the years, they should bring it all together. And one small thing I didn't actually mention is Nintendo.com is starting to show signs of doing that. Like, your Switch Online subscriber status is under your My Account 
bio. Like it's right there and you can manage it right there. Like that's a, it's a small little check mark. It's like, it's a minor thing, but like it's all slowly coming together and, and the new design looks for Nintendo.com very nice and clean. I'm not sure if you guys saw or even cared that they did this. I'm the dude who has a kid, uh, would go down the cereal aisle and be like, whoa, they changed the cereal box packaging for golden grams or something. Like, so, and to this day, I even check like blogs that literally cover logo changes. So like, this is my wheelhouse, but did you guys even realize Nintendo's starting to make these moves? Did you, have you been on Nintendo.com or seen any of this? I haven't been on Nintendo.com, but typically, unless it's, no, I, I guess I, I noticed changes, but I guess I, I definitely am not. They changed the box on Golden Grams. Cause, I don't know, maybe Ninja Turtles has got me used to changing logos often that it was just like, oh, okay, it changed. Okay. Well, see, that, there's the difference. If it changed, even if I'm used to it changing a lot, I'd be like, whoa, it changed. That's cool. And you'd be like, oh, well, that's okay. like, is that, cool. yeah, I don't think, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't make exactly. a, a deal out of it. Yeah. I don't know why I did. I guess I like that. What, what's that, the meme, like, I'm passionate about graphic design or whatever? <laughs> but, um, you know what I'm talking yeah, graphic, graphic design, design is my passion. My passion so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say good at it, but I notice it. Yeah. Um, I mean, can, I assume you, this all was just like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Why is I No, I, I, didn't even, I didn't even get to, yeah, okay, whatever. I just didn't know any of this was happening. Yeah, so it's all it's all subtly slow. That that's what I mean. Is like February was so many big things Nintendo's doing. Now they're doing all these little things in tandem, and yeah, it's interesting. But at this point, my my own hope is that you know there's more integration to come. Like one small thing with the Switch Online app that bugs me is if you click a game a friend is playing online, you leave the app and go to Nintendo.com in your browser. And if you're not signed in, you now need to log into your Nintendo account to purchase the game should you decide to. And that's to slip back into what I do for work, that's causing unnecessary friction for the end user. Like, why not have the eShop be in the Switch Online app and deeper integrate? Or vice versa, why not make the Switch Online app a general My Nintendo app, like Xbox and PlayStation do with theirs, and if you have Switch Online, maybe the top-level screen you land on is the hub for all that you can do right now with your subscription, but it also has sections to manage missions and browse games and check order statuses. You know, in Japan, they offer a separate my nintendo app so it's kind of in the right direction but again like merging them into one just makes sense it's a more holistic experience it gives nintendo one more avenue to market because they can just while you're in one thing they could pitch you another thing like could you imagine if you wanted to manage your icloud account which uses your apple id but there's a separate app just to manage your icloud account seems a little weird if they did that and that's basically what nintendo's doing so the hope is they're going to integrate. Like, it seems like they're moving that way. Um, an example that springs to mind as this all was happening these last two weeks is Mario Kart Tour got an update that added Miis as playable drivers. Um, and they are pulled from your Nintendo account and you log into your Nintendo account to do it. Um, just like how Pikmin Bloom pulls them. And the Miis and Mario Kart are kind of cool in that they're not just, here, we're going to throw a character in or we're going to throw your face in. They're bringing over the entire Mi racer experience from regular Mario Kart. So there will be different outfits based on other racers. You'll be able to unlock new outfits. You'll obviously have the gotcha mechanics for uh, some of those outfits. But nonetheless, it's like a full breadth of new characters through the Miis. Um, but even there, even with each mobile game, you're independently signing into your Nintendo account time and time again. Like It'd be really cool if they did something like Google's apps where they have like an identifier across the apps. And if you're on one Nintendo app, it knows that you're that person when you go to the other Nintendo app and it just, you're just in, you're logged in. Because again, it's it's just about making the experiences feel much less disjointed. 
And this is the last thing I'll say about this. Um, I promise. But you, you may be wondering what the big deal is. Like, who cares if it's a little more work, right? Like, why am I rambling about this so much? But having that base level audience, you know, make their accounts and be able to as easily as possible use those accounts is literally the root of Nintendo's IP expansion strategy. It's why Microsoft has you sign into your Microsoft account, not just to play Xbox, but if you want to play something like Minecraft Dungeons on a competing platform like the Switch. It's why Disney has a unified account for their theme parks and for Disney+. Plus. Once you're in the system, when you're in the system, the foot's in the door. You as the consumer have expressed your interests and the company in question can now run with that. They can market to that. They can see what it is you like and then give you recommendations about other things they do. And the easier it is, the less friction, the more cohesion there is between each step, the higher they're going to see of a conversion rate, the more money they're going to make. And obviously from the user, from our perspective, it's like, ah, oh, we're getting marketed to like crazy. But if you're a fan, you may actually discover some stuff you don't know about through these methods. So my suspicion is, that we're going to see Nintendo keep going down the path of these past couple of weeks. More stuff like Mies and Mario Kart, more stuff like, you know, United Storefronts, more connected experiences. And if I had to guess, I would say it will reach its pinnacle just in time for what I would assume will be a massive Nintendo account influx when people start going to the Hollywood location of Super Nintendo World, which coincidentally was just announced to open in 2020. What a transition. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, no, but that's, <laughs> but yeah, my guess honestly is that like these all feel like steps on a roadmap to get to an end goal where Nintendo counts are this perfect, ex- like singular experience. And what better place to do it than at the largest opening they're going to have in Nintendo World yet? You know, to have it by that time. So yeah, so Nintendo World 2023. Uh, who's excited for that? It's only a year out until it's 15 miles from where we live. 2023 isn't a real year. Come on. <laughs> I mean, the wait continues. What, what's funny about that, your 2023 isn't a real year, is it wasn't on Universal's calendar either. I heard, that's all I'll say, I heard uh, that they were already doing costume fittings. Like, they were doing the costume character fittings last summer with the anti- with the expectation of launching this year in 2022. So obviously there are construction delays or something. But, um, you know, they were already picking out their heights and widths of toads a year ago. So clearly something snagged. And 2023 shouldn't be a real year when talking about Nintendo World. It should have been 2022, specifically this summer. But, um, yeah, something something happened at some point, which, you know, par for the course. There's supply shortages. There's pandemic. There's, you know, all sorts of issues. Uh, labor force stuff. So I, I get the delay. But, yeah, it, it shouldn't have been a real year. You're right, Kevin. It should have already been this year. Um but it is exciting that's going to be that close. And as of now, it seems like it's just going to be the base Nintendo world. So there's still an uh, interest in Japan if you want the Donkey Kong stuff that's launching in 2024. But in 2023, you can at least get the Mario stuff. So uh, that's all I had from the Jason side. But I think before we go, we need a Jason palette cleanser of sorts because I had a lot to say about something so minor as accounts. Uh, so let's bring it back to games before we sign off here. Specifically, one that actually came from PlayStation State of Play. It's also Switchbound, though. Um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Cowabunga Collection, which I have to imagine, Angel, you have some thought on to some degree, because it's 14 Ninja Turtle games in one $40 package. You would think so, but it just kind of goes back to a conversation we've had here before where, like, I'm not a big beat em up fan. So by. Just unfortunate coincidence, like I'm not that big a fan of any of the classic like Ninja Turtle games. Like I just they like them all the beat them up. 
Um, there are, there are some fighting games in there, which I'll get into right now, but mm, pretty okay. much like Ninja Turtle games are pretty much just beat em ups, at least the old Konami ones. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah, I'll play them, but as games, like, I don't get excited about them. They're just cool. That, I mean, they're, they're, they're something I'm more excited to own than to play. Actually, yeah, that's perfect. So you're still but, buying uh, it? Is the, is the in between? No. I, I know they're really, really loved, though. At least, like, the, the old ones. I mean, I, and, and also, I, I was going to say, oh, it doesn't help. But, I mean, like, I also have the, like, the physical arcade cabinet from 1UP of these arcade games. So When did you buy all these arcade machines? It's like and <laughs> the pandemic hit and you opened an arcade. So... Oh yeah, like, like any, like even you know, Ninja Turtles Revenge, Shredder's Revenge game, like, yeah, that's cool that that exists, and I love how it looks, but I'm not really excited for it either, because you know. Actually, should we? Game. That makes a good point. Should we rattle off what the games are for those who didn't see the list, real quick? Go for it. Um, it's 14. I'm gonna read the full titles, so I'm gonna say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 14 times over. Oh, Ready? God. <laughs> okay, Whoa. I want to say TMNT, but there's the original arcade TMNT. There's Turtles in Time, the arcade version. There's uh, the TMNT NES game. There's TMNT 2, the arcade game, which is for NES, even though it says arcade. There's TMNT 3, the Manhattan Project for NES. There's TMNT Tournament Fires for NES. There's uh, Tournament Fires for Super Nintendo. There's Tournament Fires for Sega Mega Drive. There's Turtles in Time for Super Nintendo. There's uh, this one I've never even heard of, the Hyperstone Heist from the Mega Drive. There's, um, I don't know why I'm saying Mega Drive instead of Genesis. I must have pulled this list from a European site. Anyway, there's Fall of the Foot Clan for Game Boy. There's Back in the Sewers, Back from the Sewers, excuse me, for Game Boy. And there's Radical Rescue for Game Boy. So there's your European-oriented, for some reason, list of the 14 games. Three of which are the exact same game, just in different platforms, it seems. Yeah, which does have slightly different mechanics and different characters as well so right yeah that one's definitely that one like you know as like i didn't watch the trailer for this thing until much late in the day so when i first heard about it it was just like oh it's this arcade game so you know it was pretty much like like okay like nothing crazy but then when i saw the trailer and i was kind of just confirming my like okay yeah it's just the classic games but then when they show tournament fighters that one actually made me go like oh okay that's interesting because like that game even though you know i'm also not like i do enjoy 2d traditional fighters more than i do my beat-em-ups but you know they're, they're not always my cup of tea as far as fighting games if you can even consider smash a fighting game that's always like a debate but um but yeah that game never gets has never gotten like re-released or anything so the fact that it was and the fact it's not going to be really accessible to play like it's kind of exciting so i was already going to get this game like just to have unopened but i'll probably maybe just get the switch downloaded version and maybe just have like a physical copy of the ps4 or 5 or whatever it's on i don't know i'll figure something out probably on both let's be real it's gonna be on both but yeah i mean Definitely want to support it. Could always mean more for the future. I mean, it would be interesting to see someone tackle a 2D Ninja Turtle fighting game because, you know, they tried going the Smash route and the Power Stone route and with various amounts of success. So it would be cool to see them try at least the other angle again. Because at least Tournament Fighters from the other fighters is kind of... Actually, no. Um, TMNT... 
What was it called? Mutant Melee, which is the Power Stony one. I really, really enjoyed. But it was... But yeah, it definitely didn't have the variety that Power Stone had. So, yeah, you know, looking forward to something and new cred- like that. And if it means supporting this collection, then yeah, I'll do it. And credit where it's due, you mentioned how, you know, one of these was never re-released. Um, it wasn't Konami that had a change of heart. It was like, yeah, we should maybe release this. A company called Digital Eclipse... Uh, they're like a, uh, you know, kind of like a limited game, limited run game or IM 8-bit type of group, I believe. They basically pitched this entire thing to Konami and like, we got this and they are working hand in hand with Konami on it. So all the stuff like the online play, the button mapping, the rewind feature, the texture improvements, the art stuff, everything in there is actually due to this this game preservation company that really sort of just did the heavy lifting and got Konami to actually make it happen. And I'm sure it was more a partnership where Konami had to do some dev work too. But like this wasn't the Pachinko cool. Company Konami suddenly having a change of heart. This was some true fans of this era of gaming really pushing them to do it and convincing them it's worth the effort. So just a little backstory of how this even came to be. Kevin, I feel like a while – like early before I said the list of 14, were you about to say something? I feel like I heard you start to chime in with something. Yeah, when uh, when Angel stated that like, oh, most of these are like beat 'em ups for fighters. Have there has there been a TMNT RPG? You know, I don't think so. They've all been some kind of like arcadey actiony game. That's imagine surprising. that you have you have oh, wait. your party of four. The the closest one actually is a mobile game where. It's one of those games where you just like you gotcha your way through collecting a bunch of different characters. Oh, it's like pop style, and then you just pick like a party of four, and then you go into (laughs) RPG style battles. But everything is just on a cooldown, and they just kind of attack and pretty much just tap attacks as they become available. And there's no strategy to it. It's just you know leveling up the characters and getting more. So that's the closest thing, and I guess a tabletop game. But yeah, unfortunately, no RPG. That would be interesting. I guess. I can see it working not just as an RPG, but specifically as like a tactics game, you know, like like a Mario and Rabbids or a uh, Triangle yeah, Strategy. What's the other one? Square Enix. <laughs> yeah, essentially, but, but it'd be 3D. The tech- um, what's the Square Enix one that was just announced? Dio, Dio Field or something like that. It was announced during the same state of play as Ninja Turtles, but it it's like Triangle Strategy without 2D HD, and it is coming to Switch as well, actually. But like that, like there's a strategy game resurgence right now. Like, I mean, Square Enix is making two in a year. So Ninja Turtles seems like it fit that pretty well. Yeah. You've already got your party of four. They would each do like something different, you know? Yeah. Why why hasn't that been made? And it could go beyond the party of four. You can, you know, integrate April O'Neil or like maybe there's some weird thing where you team up with Shredder yeah. or like, like there's, there's, I, they, I, it feels very Mario and Rabbids to me, like the potential for it. Yeah, there's, there's definitely something there for sure, but alas, alas. So Although, the you know, the, team, the Turtles can get one too. Yeah, yeah I did right. Really I mean, Mario's had a three. lot of mobility. <laughs> that, that's kind of always been like my my pipe dream because, you know, they're ninjas. Like the way you see them move around in the show and the comics, like, you know, they're like wall jumping and, you know, traversing like crazy. But you never really get to do that in any of the games. That's why, like, the fact Turtles themselves were mostly beat-em-ups always even kind of, like... It was almost kind of spiteful in a way. Because it's like, oh, I want to run around and do cool ninja stuff, but I'm just stuck slowly walking from screen to screen, battling people. 
just mashing buttons. And yeah, so, so it's always been, you know, kind of like I wish Ninja Turtles was like represented this way, but it's just never has been. It, and there was well, while those, you know, why why they were solid arcade beat em ups, the fact those were also like really really popular. Yeah, on one hand, you know, they deserve to be; they were well made. But you know, just to get a little selfish and uh, I forget what other word, but just, just to allow myself to to get vent a little, like I've always been kind of like, Ugh, why do these have to be so popular? Because that just means they're going to make more of these. So pretty much, you know. We get so many arcade beat 'em up turtle games because those are really popular, and I just kind of wish they weren't for that. But you know, it's like a, one of those like I'm obviously happy with how it is, but you know, if if we had a random monkey monkey's paw wish, there's always the clo- that rumor of um, closest thing uh, we had was Rocksteady like the doing a open world in the vein yeah. of like Batman. I mean, there's been some minor attempts. Like Ubisoft made the Ninja Turtle game for the Wii that did kind of have some of what I was saying, but. It was just linear. It was Prince of Persia. It was like linear, yeah, say, linear, and... linear levels that you do do some parkouring, but it's like getting some of the way there. I liked it, but it was like, uh, it's like so close, but not quite it. And then there was a game by Platinum for the PS4 that gave me a little bit of that like free roaming environment, but that game was structured weird. Like pretty much it's just a beat em up with a lot of traversal movement, which is cool, but. You essentially have to like run around um, a giant map until you see like, oh, crime is happening. Go to that crime, stop it, and then you just rinse and repeat. Like you're just running around this map until things happen, and then once you complete enough of those things, then the boss spawns somewhere. Then you go fight the boss and kill it, and then you go to the next level. So they tried so to do like, it like the old Spider-Man games, like the PS2, like Spider-Man Two, kind of. Is that what they did? Cause yeah. I think because Spider-Man Two, you, the big hook was you could swing around to save freely, and then it would tell you when there were crimes and stuff to do, and you could go land in like specific. Yeah, but I always thought those were optional, though. I always thought it was like you still had a a quest you can always complete, but you can be a hero on the side. This one is like oh, I see what you mean. This one was literally just the quest. Oh, yeah, you're just uh, doing quests, yeah, side quests to you know I unlock the boss instead of there being some kind of narrative to it. But in retrospect, as we talk about this, I don't understand how. Koei Tecmo or Sega didn't like snatch the Ninja Turtle license and hand it off to like the Ninja Gaiden or Tenchu developers. Like it seems like such a no brainer in retrospect. Yeah, well, like it's like that'd be kind of what you're looking for, right? I mean, it's a little linear in the same way you were describing um, the other one being kind of Prince of Persia esque, but like play like just thinking back to when I played, you know, Ninja Gaiden on DS, which I thought was very cool, uh, Dragon Sword, I think it was called. That could have worked as a Ninja Turtle game pretty easily. Like, I'm surprised yeah. they never did. Especially because Tecmo Koei or Koei Tecmo, whatever way their name goes, they love their licenses. They love taking IPs and shoving them into Dynasty Warriors gameplay. So, like, is this that far removed? Similarly, why is there no Ninja Turtle Dynasty Warrior? Ninja Turtle Warriors. I'm not saying it'd be the right thing for you, Angel, because I know you're not a big fan of the genre, but, like, that too, in retrospect, seems like a bit of a no-brainer. They have Gundam. It's such a flexible franchise, but... It is, you know. yeah. One day, I mean, the, it's the big question. Kind of, I mean, it, mm. it's getting a lot of attention right now, so you know, maybe we'll get some other types of projects eventually. But obviously, Shredder's Revenge has to come out first. This has that to was my big first. question: Will this collection make it out before or after Shredder's Revenge? Because that's been coming soon for over a year now, hasn't it? Shredder's Revenge. Yeah, according to one of our friends on Twitter, it was revealed about a year ago, but we still don't even have a date. Yeah, yeah. 
But I, I do think the like Ninja Turtle like renaissance, if you will, it makes sense because the nineties are back. You know, the mid nineties and late nineties are oh, now the next thing coming back. Acknowledge your own joke because Renaissance, Renaissance artist, Ninja Turtles. Oh my god, that would have been that pun absolutely not intended. I wish that was intended. That's quality. Uh, but no, I I think like Ninja Turtles gets to ride the same wave that like the next Transformers is doing Beast Wars. They're doing a trilogy of Beast Wars movies. Like they're going, they're pulling from that that era now. So I think Ninja Turtles. There's only more to come for a while here because we're, we're in that moment for it so and we've been in it for a minute like the michael bay movies as you know whatever you think of those we've been in that was kind of the part of it too but we're in that yeah moment, it, that it, moment. it comes and goes they're literally like consoles like every five years you get like a boom like i mean you, you know you had the 90s and you had mid-2000s they weren't as big but you know they were still they had a presence they had a bunch of games from konami they had the cg movie they had that popular TV show, then you have the Nickelodeon era, and now you have right. this one where, you know, we have the Seth Rogen movie coming out, we have a new Ninja Turtle show getting, that's already in the works, then you have the Ride the Ninja Turtles movie on Netflix also coming out, a lot of, a lot of turtle stuff. Comic uh, is different. still going, and they just brought back the female turtle that was notoriously hated from the live action show. She was the one that the did have a book. renaissance name, right? Uh, she was a painting. Her name was Venus. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Which is kind of weird because you know, it's for like, some reason, I thought her name was artist. Jane. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I was like, oh, there Raphael, Michelangelo, and named Jane. Jen. Oh, I was Maybe. close. I was close. I was close. Okay, okay. Not yeah, as good that's as been the female turtle currently, but now they're bringing in Venus in a very weird and interesting way. But yeah. Would you like to elaborate on that, or is that an Arnon discussion right there? I guess I could just elaborate a little. Um, they're... Long story short, uh, a part, a population of New York was subjugated to, like, a bomb that mutated everyone in that vicinity. So you have, like, a town in New York just called Mutant Town that's kind of segregated from the rest of the city. Mm-hmm. And there are some mutants in there that get, I guess, plastic surgery of sorts to try to look more human. Or just, like you know, make their lives less miserable because some people didn't get great animals or whatever. And from what we've seen so far, this turtle looks like they've been trying to experiment with themselves or they've been experimented on because they have, like, a frog limb and a weird-looking shell with, like, an exposed what looks like heart or something. So it's almost like a weird Frankenstein's monster that they turned Venus into where before she was just... Let's have a female turtle and right. give it breast for some reason. But, I yeah. uh the nineties really are back. I forgot the term for it, but the idea of like kinda like weird creatures and like body dysmorphism and all that, like that is also so nineties, you know, like Ario Monsters, Rocco's Modern Life, like Ren and Stimpy, like that all that it, it the nineties are back. Nineties are back. <laughs> um interesting. Wait, wait. Unless there's anything else about Ninja Turtles or anything, I think I think that does it for the episode. Yeah. I think we're ending it right where we're going to pick up next time, which is back on the game grind, opposed to account talk or website redesigns or whatnot. Um, just, just games, because next episode on the uh, 27th of March, we will be sharing our impressions of the Mario Kart 8 Booster Course Pass, or at least the first part of the Booster Course Pass. And then the next episode after that is Kirby and the Forgotten Land impressions. So yeah, we're we're very much in our in our 
game lane now. I'm sure there'll be other stuff along the way to, uh, along the way as well. But to make sure you don't miss any of it and stay on top of all of it, plus any random non-tendos that happen in between, be sure to follow us on Twitter at RamNintendo. You can subscribe to us on all the podcast apps. Um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. We're also on YouTube. Uh, RamNintendo.com is the name. And individually, we're on the internet. I'm JSR7 on Twitter. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O on Twitter. And Kevin is KVN Gomi on Twitter. So I think that does it. Um, Kevin, yeah, final word? So happy to say that Jason finally accepted our daylight savings thing in the past two weeks. Oh, boy. Oh, no. It wasn't even a daylight savings thing. Yeah, it was oh, just a time, mean, zone time zone. Time zone, That's right. Yeah. But yes, that's true. This episode, everyone's listening to it an hour ahead of where they were the last time they were listening. Wait, that doesn't make sense. No, that does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. We're all an hour ahead now. Welcome to the future. Kevin, do you have a better final word than that? Uh, I don't. So, what's the other thing? <laughs>